Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Monday, July 10th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. When I was in law school, and even after law school as I became a mediator, there's a book that's often favored by attorneys and mediators alike, and it's called Getting to Yes. It's subtitled Negotiating Agreement Without Giving In, written by, I think it's Roger Fisher and William Urey. The book is really about how to compromise. And I wanted to talk this episode about compromise. And I also want to talk about the win, which is the opposite of a compromise in many ways. Why the win or why compromise? And which do we want to claim at the end of discrepancies and disputes? Well, let me get back to the book, Getting to Yes. There's an example in the book, and I'm not going to quote it exactly. I'm going to kind of paraphrase the little story or example that's used in the book because it's never left me and had a profound impression. And it's this. There are two sisters, and they have one lemon. And they are arguing over the lemon. Who gets it? Each one wants the lemon, and neither one will give in because that's their position. And finally... They're each asked, well, why do you want the lemon? And it turns out that one sister wanted lemon juice. So she wanted the juice inside the lemon. And the other sister was baking a pie, and she wanted the rind of the lemon to put into the pie crust. Well, once it was determined that one wanted the juice and one wanted the rind, there was no longer a need for any kind of dispute because they were able to compromise. One got the juice and one got the rind. The message and the lesson that comes out of that teaching is that it's not about positions. Taking a position can often make you blind to the underlying interests that you have. So their positions were that each one wanted the lemon and no one was moving off of their position. But as you now know, their interests were different and their interests enabled them to compromise and come up with a result that was satisfactory to both. So in real life, should we compromise or should we seek a win? Well, I would tell you that it depends. Compromise usually means that everyone gets some of what they want, but not all of what they want. And in order for that to happen, everyone gives up something. And everyone gives up something they can live with in order to get enough that they feel that they have justification for resolving the problem without getting everything that they wanted. It's often the result in divorce cases, right? I was a divorce attorney for 15 years. And most divorces proceed that way. They are compromises where each side gives in at different points depending on what they feel about an asset or a result in some way, a distribution, whatever. 
There's also social issues that we can compromise on. And one of them, surprisingly enough, in my mind, this week I learned would be CRT, critical race theory, or banning critical race theory. Because they're the two positions, teach it in all the schools or ban it in the schools. In the book Trial of the Century, which I've been reading for a few weeks and continue to mention for various reasons on prior episodes of my podcast, at the end of the book, which is written by journalist Greg Jarrett, in his epilogue, He likens the substance of the book, which is the story of the Scopes Monkey Trial, Clarence Darrow, the famous attorney who went up against William Jennings Bryant on the teaching or banning of evolution in the schools. Jarrett likens that confrontation with what's going on today with CRT in the schools. In opposition to teaching it, the bans that have been implemented in certain states, or the zealous advocacy for teaching critical race theory. I was surprised, quite honestly, that Jarrett comes down on the side of teaching it, mainly because he believes, as with evolution, that more information isn't harmful. Less information is usually what's harmful. And I understand that to a degree. The degree that I understand it to is that Yes, I come down on teaching both sides of our history as a nation, always teaching both sides, the good and the bad, because there are both. We have done remarkably admirable things as a country, and we have done shameful things as a country, with slavery being one of them. And so I am in favor of teaching what some might call the dark side of our history. However, I'm not in favor of so overreacting to that history that we create a new kind of problem. And I spoke about this also in a prior episode. I talked about affirmative action and how it's my personal opinion that while we have a responsibility to make our current justice system and our educational system and our business communities equal opportunity, we don't get there through affirmative action. We get there by addressing all of the many factors that have to do with certain segments of the population, and most notably black Americans, that we address all of the issues, cultural, societal, uh, all of the areas where prejudice can come in and affect an outcome. But affirmative action isn't the only answer, although it is touted as the answer. I think that it's not the answer, as I said before, because you don't fix a prior prejudice by creating a new one. And that's what affirmative action does. It basically does to Asian and other minority groups what was done to black Americans. And that doesn't cure a problem. As I said, it creates a new one. There are many aspects to the issue of prejudice in business, in culture, in education, but they have to do with the nuclear family in the black community. They have to do with black-on-black crime. They have to do with black ghettos in democratic cities, welfare and food stamps, and government dependency, which drains all incentive from individuals to achieve. However, as Greg Jarrett points out in his epilogue, There's two sides to this story. There's two sides to our history, and there's two sides to the perspective of looking at slavery and its long-term after effect 
whether you're white or whether you're black, looking at it from different perspectives gives you different viewpoints. And both of those viewpoints, if not more than two, need to be laid out on the table, need to be looked at in their totality comprehensively, and then addressed comprehensively from a solution standpoint. So I think that teaching CRT or not teaching CRT is an area where compromise might actually have a beneficial outcome. Finding out what is valid in the argument in terms of prejudice and its long-term effects, but then addressing the problem from a multifaceted area and not turning everything good on its ear to make it suddenly bad, because when you do that, you then make everything bad suddenly good. Neither of those are an outcome that ought to be desirable. Compromise is, however, not usually the best outcome when there's a verifiable right or wrong, especially when there's an egregious wrong, whether it's ethical or moral or criminal. Remember what I said about divorce, how divorce cases most often end in a compromise solution? That's true, but I have been involved in cases where that was not the best or highest outcome, where an actual win for one party was the highest outcome. And I will give you an example. I represented a woman who was a remarkably talented executive. She was a Martha Stewart-like homemaker, and she and her husband renovated properties mostly historical properties, and turned them into, in essence, museums that generated income. She was also an abused wife. He beat her over the course of their marriage many times, and she was hospitalized many times for those injuries. Everything from broken nose to cracked ribs to concussion, you name it, she had experienced it. And in the divorce process, She was willing to negotiate a resolution, but he was not. He wanted more than his share of the family's assets, and he wanted more than his share in terms of custody of the children. And so we wound up in trial because I wasn't about to allow my client, and my client wasn't inclined to anyway, cave in at this point in her life because she had managed the courage to finally leave the abusive relationship. And this is where she was taking her stand. Well, we tried the case and the court in writing its opinion did something I had never seen before. The judge in the case wrote in the opinion. In fact, she opened the opinion by saying the husband was an abuser and a liar. Now, let me say that she based that opinion upon the fact that he was arrogant enough to take the witness stand and deny that he had ever hit her. But when I put my client on the stand, as well as was able to enter into evidence her medical records, there was ample proof that he, in fact, had beat her all of the times and broken all of the bones and caused all of the injuries that she testified to. The end result of the judge's ruling was that instead of splitting the investment properties, she gave them all to the wife but one. And the one she gave to the husband was the least valuable of them all. 
And so it was a blatant, flat-out win, a moral win for my client, who for years had hidden the abuse. It was now public, and she was acknowledged for what she went through, and she was rewarded for her courage in finally standing up. It was also a financial win for her. It was a situation in which a win was, in fact, justified and warranted. Here's another personal example. Recently, in looking to buy a new home, I saw a property in another state that was of interest to me, and I had a signed agreement with a realtor in that state that I signed back in February that was going to last six months, the buyer's agreement. So the last day of that contract is August 3rd. I then decided I didn't want to move, and for several months I didn't talk to that realtor, but This week, I saw the exact property I was looking for. So I reached back out to the realtor and I asked them if they could FaceTime the property. And they did. And it was everything I was looking for. And then I said to the realtor that I wanted to make an offer. And the realtor said to me, the seller isn't going to take a contingent offer. Contingent offer means I need to sell my house in order to buy that house because the cash is tied up in my current home. He said to me, the seller won't take a contingent offer. In this market, especially properties as nice as this, there's no way that the seller will take a contingent offer. And I said, ask the seller if they'll take a contingent offer. And so the realtor did, and the seller said yes. I became really annoyed with this realtor and didn't want to proceed with them because, number one, they had given me bad advice. Number two, in my opinion, they had violated their canon of ethics or their rules of ethics as well as best practices in being a realtor by giving their client misleading and false information, which might have caused someone else to walk away from that property. It happens I pushed through and said, ask the seller if they'll take the contingent offer. So I told the realtor I wanted that agreement to terminate now, not August 3rd. And the response from the broker who manages that agent said to me that they would give me a conditional release of the buyer's agreement in advance as long as if I bought that particular property within the next 90 days, they'd get their commission. Now, I might really want that house. So what do I care if they get the commission? I don't pay for it. It comes out of the seller's pocket, not the buyer's pocket, right? Just get the house I want and let the agent who is less than professional and doesn't know his market and didn't act in behalf of his client, let him make the commission. Who cares? Well, I care because there's a right and there's a wrong. And what he did to me, I had enough foreknowledge to say and demand that he ask the seller about a contingent offer. However, a less experienced buyer might have just walked away and not gotten the house they wanted based on wrong information from the professional they were paying to get them that information. So I wrote back and I said, no, I want an unconditional release, no conditions. I will not be pressured into seeing that an agent who gave false and misleading information to a buyer, profit from that. You're not going to hold me hostage because in the end, I'll let the house go just so that the agent and the broker don't get any commission. Am I spiting myself? 
you could look at it that way. I look at it, I'm standing for what is right. And I said, if I can't get an unconditional release, I'm reporting and filing a formal complaint with the South Carolina Real Estate Licensing Board because that's what should happen. This agent should be held accountable for what they did. That's a situation where I could have compromised. I could have gotten my house, perhaps. I mean, if I made the right offer, I could have gotten the house and the agent would have gotten their money. But you know what would have happened? An incompetent and an uncaring agent would still be out there potentially hurting other buyers. That's what I mean when I say that sometimes you have to give up something that matters to you to stand for what is right. But standing for what is right is infinitely more important because when you don't stand for what is right, what you get is more and more corruption, more and more illegality, and more and more advantage taken of people in lesser positions by people in positions who are supposedly educated and licensed and there for their protection. You know, we can debate what exactly is transgenderism. We can discuss and put out on the table ways in which people who experience transgenderism get through their lives and get through a culture that may frown upon it or may not support it in the most outward way. That is something that I think is subject to compromise, how we look at people who literally and legitimately experience transgenderism. But there's no compromise on whether transgender surgeries and beta blockers and medical interventions for children is an outcome. It's not possible to compromise on that. That's an area that needs a win. If you make permanent changes to a prepubescent child's body that will forever alter the quality of their life, and you do it at an age when the child has no ability to intellectually or emotionally understand the scope of what is happening to them, There's no compromise on that issue. That's an issue in which the win is that such things are made illegal. In fact, in the state of Tennessee this week, the Tennessee Federal Appeals Court ruled that there could be a temporary injunction on a ban on transgender surgeries and related medical interventions for minors pending the outcome of a case that addresses that very issue. Now, Appeals courts, any courts, they don't issue temporary injunctions pending the outcome of a case unless they believe there's sufficient evidence in that case to warrant what the injunction implements. In this case, it's implementing a ban on transgender surgeries and medical interventions for minors. That's a good sign. That's going to be a win, hopefully, in Tennessee. There is a right and wrong on that one. And therefore, when you have a clear right and wrong, then a win is not only possible, it should be sought. It should be fought for. It should be zealously fought for. And there should be no compromise around things that are clearly right and clearly wrong. The other issue recently, which I think 
warrants a win one way or the other is the alleged corruption by the Biden family. There's a right or wrong around this. Either the Bidens are innocent of all of the alleged instances in which they took money from foreign entities, both Hunter Biden and his father, foreign entities, some of which are not allies of the United States, for the purpose of garnering influence with the then vice president and now president, and thereby affecting U.S. policy. Either these people are criminal and they belong out of office, prosecuted and in jail, all of them, Jim Biden, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, or they're innocent and they need to be exonerated. Those allegations need to be shown to be false. Either one of those outcomes could occur, but only if the justice system applies to them the same standard that the justice system applies to people who are less well-known, who are less connected, who are less part of an elite class. The evidence needs to be allowed to be shown publicly, to be evaluated publicly in some public forum, whether it's a courtroom because there's enough evidence to prosecute the family, including the president, or an adequate revealing of facts and circumstances that prove that the family did not take that money for the wrong reasons, that it was not funneled through LLCs for the purpose of laundering money. Then there's climate change. Climate change is an area where I think we ought to be able to compromise. Is there climate change? Yes. Has the climate changed over the course of recorded history? Yes. Might there be contributions by humanity to why things are happening that maybe otherwise would not happen either naturally or at the rate they're happening? Potentially. And so I think that we need to be able to look at all of that. How much of this is simply, yes, climate change and not the result of what humans are doing? How much of it is the result of what humans may be doing? And then what is the solution that is not so extreme that you lose your gas stove or you can't make pizzas in New York City anymore in a wood-fired oven? There has to be an airing of both sides and a rational approach to both identifying the scope of the problem, the cause of the problem, the scope of the problem, and the solutions to the problem. I think that's an area of compromise. Child sex trafficking? There's no compromise in that topic. There's only a win. You know, Jordan Peterson recently interviewed Jim Caviezel, who starred in, um, I think, The Chosen. He played Jesus, I believe. But he's also starred in this new film, Sound of Freedom, which came out this past weekend and did stunningly well, which is the true story of the founder of Operation Underground Railroad, Tim Ballard. Ballard was a 12-year special agent for Homeland Security, and he was on the Internet Crime Against Children Task Force. He was also on the U.S. Child Sex Tourism Jump Team, and he left the government service in 2013 and founded OUR, Operation Underground Railroad. 
He has testified before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee concerning our U.S.-Mexican border, the security there, and its relationship to child sex trafficking. And he is well known for his courage and his tenacity in pursuing child sex trafficking and rescuing children from around the world. There is some controversy. I will say that right up front. There are people who claim this whole thing is a hoax. And there are people who claim he doesn't have the background that he claims he has. There are also people who say they've been on these rescue missions with him and they're, they, had, they weren't hypnotized. They weren't crazy. They saw it happen. This is real. My point is there is a worldwide problem, disgrace, with child sex trafficking, human sex trafficking in general, but child sex trafficking in particular. This is not a compromise subject. This is a win subject. We have to stop it wherever we can, however we can. These are innocents. These children have done nothing. They are being used. They are being killed. They're being abused. They're being tortured. The descriptions of what happens to them is horrific. Tim Ballard talked about children's bodies that are broken, literally, by forced sex by adults until the child's body breaks. This is not a compromise topic. So when this weekend the movie was reviewed by mostly left-wing publications that have panned it, that have demeaned it or attempted to, that say it's part of QAnon, whatever QAnon may be. There's no justification for that. The facts are what they are. The statistics are what they are. We all know it's happening. There's no compromise. There's only the win of stopping it. And so I would say that the point of this entire episode is that Whether you compromise or whether you seek a win really depends on, number one, what is the issue? What is the issue in dispute? And number two, if there are right and wrongs, and there are, if there are things that we know are not malleable, they are what they are, then those are the things that we cannot compromise on. Those are the things you have to stand up for. Those are the things that in the past, starting with the founding of this country and long before that, throughout human history, those are the things people have died for. They have stood for what is right. And in our lives every day, we encounter those opportunities, the opportunity to compromise or the opportunity to stand for what is right and not relent until you have the win. It's up to you each and every time you encounter one of those situations. Might the win cost you something? Absolutely. Might it cost you something you didn't want to pay? Absolutely. But that's the price of the win. And if the win is important enough, the price becomes insignificant. If you compromise on what you know to be right, it's a lose-lose because you fail to stand for what is right and whatever you get isn't worth what you relinquished in order to get it. 
Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again next Sunday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's Carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.